podcast one production. Welcome to Agriminders. G'day, I'm Chris Russell. As we continue our exploration of where the next generation of agricultural bright sparks are going to come from, one of the single most critical factors that will affect the where to from here question is the quality and quantity of the next generation of agricultural professionals. In part one, we noted that for every graduate currently graduating in agriculture in Australia, there are four jobs for them to choose from. And clearly it's not just numbers, but the intellect and investigative ability of these graduates that is even more critical. We spoke to the leaders of arguably the most successful city-based school teaching agriculture in Australia, Barker College in Sydney, which currently has as many students studying agriculture than the states of South Australia and Tasmania combined. And now in part two, we'll talk to the head of the Sydney Institute of Agriculture, which was formerly the Faculty of Agriculture and the Environment at Sydney University. It's bizarre that at a time when food security is one of, if not the most critical issue facing our planet, universities and taxpayer dollars are not being focused on encouraging the best intellects we can possibly find to help Australian agriculture meet this shortage. Indeed, we're seeing agricultural faculties actually losing their identity within university structures and at worst closing or at best merging into generalised faculties of science. Sydney University is a key example of this. Despite being the oldest faculty of agriculture in Australia, 2017 saw it merged into the Faculty of Science without retaining even a school of agriculture within the faculty. Instead, they've been made part of a more nondescript and certainly less focused school of life and environmental sciences. The only remnant left is the Sydney Institute of Agriculture, which is focused on research and agriculture projects at postgraduate and postdoctoral levels. And I'm pleased to welcome our Agriminder in this episode, the final Dean of the Faculty of Agriculture and Environment, and now the current Director of the Sydney Institute of Agriculture, Professor Alex McBratney. Welcome to Agriminders, Alex. Nice to talk to you again, Chris. So we're going to spend in a future episode some time looking at technology and how people can run farms now from sitting in Sydney in Western New South Wales. We're going to talk to Professor Brett Whelan. We're going to talk to futurist Mark Pesci, who's just done a series called The Next Billion Seconds. So I think we're all looking forward to that. But even that's that's knowledge. We know that's the fact. We know there's the demand there for the future students and we know them to be the brightest and best. We have to have that because food security is a real issue. We only know how to produce about 30% of the food we'll need over the next 50 years. So given all those pieces of information, I don't understand why the, the governments and the senates of these big sandstone universities in Australia don't seem to see a faculty of agriculture fitting into their business models. What mistake have we made in educating them on the importance of that? Yeah, it's a, a good question, Chris. I think the universities, whether they be sandstone or otherwise, are v- very much aware of the food aspect, the food security aspect. For some reason, that doesn't translate into agriculture. Why now, is that? 
It's a, it, it's a good question. We're very, very concerned in many of these universities in producing high-quality food. We are less concerned with how that is actually produced. It's more about how it's processed, I think, rather than how it's produced. And, of course, there's a, there's a great interest in urban agriculture. And, and uh, as someone who lives in Sydney, I, I can see there's a good way of connecting with communities. But uh, to be realistic, that might provide 5 or 10% of the food that we might need. We still have to produce the bulk of the food uh, for the world and, and, and that message probably isn't getting across enough. Look, I'm an optimist, so I believe that with science and technology, we will be able to feed all the people of the world. And more than that, as time goes on, we'll do that better in, in the sense that the quality of that food will improve also. Uh, I think that's the message that we've got to get out to the young people. There's a great challenge there to feed the people of the world but to, and also to feed them with high-quality food. And I think that's, that's where we're headed. I think the universities will eventually get that message, but I think at the moment some of the universities are less enamoured with agriculture as, a, as an educational uh, exercise uh, they're certainly still very enamoured with it as a research exercise. Um, but over time, I think that will change and uh, agriculture education will come back. The government will realise this when they start to realise that they have potentially a $300 billion enterprise there that needs to be uh, l- looked after. Um, and when you get to $300 billion, that gets to be... 10, 15% of GDP. So we really need to uh, look after agriculture. So, Alex, when you talk about agricultural bright sparks, you know, coming out of university, there's four jobs currently available for every undergraduate or graduate when they finish their undergraduate degree. How are we as as a population, as a university group uh, and as a country going to start catering for, for building up the number of graduates that can actually fill those jobs? I think that, uh, that there is a perception out there, I guess, with students, but I think more with the uh, parents of potential students that, that agriculture is uh, some low-level existence, whereas uh, for those of us who work in agriculture, realise that this is a, is and will become more and more a, a high-tech business. Look, Australian agriculture is a $60 billion business at the moment for the production of agricultural crops. This is going to grow to $100 billion over the next few years. But on top of that, we think also that we're going to build ag-tech businesses in Australia, which will go out to the world, which will be worth another $100 billion. And we also think on top of that that there's a whole other business in agricultural know-how, the knowledge we have about doing agriculture that we can sell out to the world. This is not just high-tech, but this is how you do agriculture, the agronomy and animal science of agriculture. So if, if, I, if I listen to Simon Talbot, who was the CEO of the NFF uh, a couple of years ago, I thought he gave a great quote in one of his uh, talks he gave in Melbourne. He said, the stereotypical idea of a farmer is an old, rusted-on, 65-year-old struggling in drought. And that's actually wrong 
because the stereotypical farmer is just as easily the young farming family living in the Riverina enjoying a wonderful lifestyle. But that message is not there for the young people and I think I agree with you even more so for their parents. Yeah, so there's a, there's a couple of things here. I think that this huge agribusiness that we're talking about, so I just mentioned all of those things, could add up to $300 billion. How much of that is actually done on farm? Maybe a quarter of it, maybe less, of the people who are actually working in that huge agribusiness will be actually on farm. Uh, so there's a huge demand for people to do all of, the, all of that high-tech stuff. But even on the farm, it's going to be high-tech. It's, it's going to be a clean, green job, high-tech job that people are doing. And I think this is one of the hidden stories about agriculture is that if you have a, a well-set-up farm business, this is a wonderful lifestyle. This is a, it's a great place to live. It's a great thing to do. And I think that message hardly ever gets out there. I know the media's preoccupied by drought and certain kinds of stories, but the, the fact that um, it's a very positive way of making a living doesn't seem to get out there. Now, I go around the world and look at farming all over the world, and there is no doubt in my mind that Australia has the best farmers, the highest tech farmers in the world. Why is that? Well, we're obviously working in a developed economy, but within that developed economy, we have a farming and agriculture that is not subsidised by government. These people know how to run businesses in a very difficult environment, but they manage to do it. They're very smart. They use the latest technologies, the latest ideas. They create the best management practices. I think lifestyle is good, and that's the message we've got to get out there. So you alluded there to the fact that, yes, we have to solve the feeding the world thing. I'm actually not sure that that's going to be a big role for Australia because by on world scale, you know, we're not massive exporters. But what we do do is fill the niches required in Asia. For example, you know, the burgeoning middle class live in China, is in the same country of a whole lot of people who can't afford to buy anything. Um, and yet so the days when they would say, look, just let them eat rice, no longer. They now want to eat high quality beef which we can provide them. So there are two things we have to service, both a gross amount of food and also the particular foods that the Asian markets are particularly wanting to buy in the same markets. So that is going to require the brighter students as well as the volume of students. So how do we actually attract not just any students but some of the students that are really going to solve these problems within Australia? Well, first of all, let me, let me just follow up on what you said there, because I think it's very important. What is the strategy for Australian agriculture? And I agree with you that the strategy is not to be the food bowl of Asia. We need to produce our food sustainably. My guess is that we can produce enough food for 120 million people sustainably, uh, but this can be high-quality, high-value-add food, which is also profitable. So I think the strategy for Australia is high-value-add, high-quality, profitable food production for the Asian market. At the same time, we do have a duty in the world to address food security. The way we do that, of course, is, is with our overseas work, with our development work. Um, this is what I talked about earlier about ag know-how. Uh, 
we need to be able to translate our agricultural know-how to the rest of the world to produce the food. So I think that's the situation. We do both. We need to do both things. So we need to produce young people, smart people who can do both of those. So in agriculture, it's about getting people who are committed to to agriculture. And I think that's the challenge. We need them to buy into the idea that this is going to be a profitable business. It's going to be a high-tech business. But also, for some of them, that this is actually going to be an altruistic thing to do in the world. So there are people who are, are interested in the business side, but there are also people who are interested in developing um, humanity as well. So I think we need to attract people who are interested in both of those kinds of And I must say one of the really attractive things I think about the millennials and the current generation is their social conscience, even more so than my generation, which, which I, I think that the world has really moved on there. But within agriculture, it's a very diverse discipline. What are the cool subjects today? And does that mean we're going to get an imbalance of people in the animal area versus the agronomy area versus the IT, uh, you know, technological area? Well, I think, there's, I think there's one thing that is cool, and that's anything called digital. So we still need animal scientists. We still need, the, you know, all the ag science. We still need the ag economics. And in Australia, we really haven't been very good on the ag engineering. We haven't really developed that as much as we might have, and that's something that needs to come back. So anything that puts the word digital in front of those is cool. Um as time goes on, we're going to have this thing called digital agriculture. And it's the idea of digital agriculture is you have to think about a supply chain. And it goes from the producer to the consumer. And in the, in the digital agricultural supply chain, the consumer gets to know how his food or her food is produced, where it's produced, who does it, what the state, state of the farm is, and all the rest of it. So there's a supply chain where... Food and information is supplied down the line to the consumer, but at the same time, the consumer, if if they want to, can provide feedback to the producer. And on all the way along that, there is there's a there's a digital animal science because you're gathering information about the animals and how they're feeding and and which animal likes which other one and so on and on all the rest of the animal behaviour stuff. There's a digital agronomy, there's, and all of that. So. I think that that's the really exciting part because there's so many little things that the digital age can bring to us that we really did had no idea about the, in the past. And we can use all of that to, to do a couple of things, to optimise how we do things so we can produce, I wouldn't say more, I would say better quality. I think, I think the aim of digital should be quality, not quantity.
a lot of these bright minds live in the cities, and Australia is probably the most urbanised society globally, I think, well, certainly one of them anyway. And we, we interviewed uh, earlier in this series the head and head of agriculture from Barker College, which is a typical Sydney private school, and yet they have more kids studying agriculture than the whole states of South Australia and Tasmania put together, or around the same number anyway, which is ridiculous. I mean, it's more of a criticism of the states than a compliment to them in many ways. And yet our high schools, which uh, and many of them are set up even with farms, like Hurlston, for example, uh, are struggling to actually produce students that you're seeing. Who's dropped the ball there? How come a school like Barker, which you can obviously afford to employ the best teachers, but nonetheless it's a school absolutely dominated by city kids, outcompetes a school like Hurlston or James Roos, well, particularly Hurlston, who have boarding, and bring in kids from all over the bush, and yet they you get more students from Barker than you do from Hurlston. How's that work? Yes, yeah, so that's a a nutty problem, I think. But all I can imagine um, is that it's a it's a question of vision. It has to do with the vision of what agriculture is in these different places. If the if the vision is whose the, vision, though, the students or the school? I would say I would say the school's vision. I would say that if the school has a vision that agriculture is something for the future and is presenting it in that way, I think you will draw the kids in. If we think that agriculture study is something we just study peripherally, um, almost extracurricular activity, a bit of fun, then perhaps that's not the vision we're looking for. We, we want kids who are actually committed to this idea of agriculture, uh, which for me is a way of making money but also a way of life. Yeah, I wonder whether too, though, there's an element that the kids who come from the bush sort of sit there in drought, see their fathers in trouble, see the suicide rate, see the press about all that, whereas the city kids are perhaps have always been a bit more idealistic about, you know, life in the country being awesome. And then you combine that with a perceived opportunity for a digital, as you say, and high-tech agriculture whether we're going to see more and more kids getting into the pref- profession from the city compared with the traditional source of kids who have been brought up in an agricultural world. Yeah, I think it goes both ways. As you and I know, uh, Chris, many of the most successful people in Australian agriculture come from the city and were tertiary educated in ag- agriculture, went out to the bush and have done extraordinarily well. So that opportunity, kids, is out there for everybody to do that. Uh, I think the idea of the kids from the bush coming in and then staying in town is becoming probably less attractive. As the technology and the diversity of farm businesses becomes greater, I think there's more likely that they will want to go back and join in these big farm businesses. I was talking to a farmer a couple of weeks ago who works, whose farm is just outside Roma, and his family had moved away from the farm, but after 10 or 15 years, they're now moving back, back to Roma and back to the farm because for them, it's a much better lifestyle and there are much more professional things to do in rural communities than there used to be in the past. So that's, that's growing. So in terms of the job for your undergraduates that you see coming out of Sydney, what percentage of them end up in the city, living in the city? What percentage end up living in regional areas or in the bush? I would say that about 
I think it's about 50-50. I think it's about 50% that end up in the city and 50% in the bush. I think the thing that people need to realise is they all get jobs, all of them. They're, the, the employment rate for our graduates leaving uh, is 97%. Wow. That's a pretty envious record, I think. I think that message is getting through, though, I must say. I, the more kids I speak to, the more I hear that they are hearing that. Um, and although, you know, mum and dad are saying if you want to earn a million dollars a year, go and become a lawyer, um, when they're hearing full employment and they just love the idea of working in something like agriculture, I think that is taking sway. I'm, like you, very optimistic that we are going to attract those people. Can I come just finally to research, which is a big part of the Sydney Institute of Agriculture's role? And you mentioned that the universities are quite uh, enthusiastic about research opportunities. There seems to be a tension, though, in research between what I call core research, the sort of research that gets written up in international peer-reviewed magazines versus a company where uh, they want to prove that their product is going to work well in the field or some new concept that they're trying to develop. Um, are we actually missing out on a lot of that core research or are we seeing still a balance in, in those in terms of funding? That's a very good question and uh, another nutty issue. Look, first of all, what we need to say is that when it comes to agricultural research, particularly agricultural science, Australia is as good as any country in the world. Uh, And I have no doubt about that. You just need to look at the statistics. We are up there in the world with our our agricultural research. And um, we do that all for a modest uh, investment from the government, I would say, or a modest investment from government. But it's also an investment from private industry too. So I think think we're world-leading. if we have less graduates in agriculture from our institutions, that will eventually impact on our ability to do that research. There's no doubt about that. So besides having a career in agriculture, we do need people who can also have a career in agricultural research. Now, they can come from other disciplines, obviously, and, and so on. Um, the, big, the big word at the moment is impact. That, so everybody at the moment is con- concerned about impact. What's that mean? They, they, do do the general public, does it impact on the general public the work that you're doing? Um, so there's an exercise looking at that at the moment across the country. Now, agriculture, of course, we're in this wonderful position that it's pretty clear that the work we do has impact. It has impact on yield and, and on communities, and we can, and we can show that. Um, so I think the future for agricultural research by recognising that impact is important is very good. Impact is clear. Um, there's more and more investment, and I guess the numbers, you can look at various numbers, but some numbers like there might be $750 million a year uh, public sector investment in ag-research. It might be more than that. that. That might only be federal government. And then there's about $1.5 billion of private sector investment. So I think the balance is pretty good there um, between what you talked about, the, the more basic research and, and the stuff that um, is basically testing the ideas, testing the products and so on. So I think we've got a, a good balance here in Australia. 
but we need to maintain that and we need to probably improve the amount of investment. But I think that one of the great things we have in Australia is this Rural Research and Development Corporation framework. I think that's an envy for the rest of the world. They don't quite have that nice model that ties growers through levies to more basic research. I think there's a question about whether the absolutely fundamental research providers, uh, Australian Research Council and so on, put enough money into basic agricultural research. But I still think um, we are doing wonderful work in plant and animal genetics. It's, it's, it's coming through. I think we will continue to, to be world leaders in research. So, Alex, as a proud University of Sydney alumnus myself, can I ask you to very briefly to let me know, are we going to see a faculty or a school back at Sydney University? Because uh, recently that's been now amalgamated into the science faculty. Um, so there is no official face, really, for a faculty of agriculture, even as a school. To me, that didn't make any sense. Are we going to go back there again in the future? you optimistic? Stick your neck out. Okay, um, I guess this has to be a personal comment and not, not one of from course. the university. And I, and, and I should also say that I'm also an alumnus of the Faculty of Agriculture, a recent alumnus, um, I should say. Look, I'm also very optimistic and, I, and, and I've been talking to some of my senior colleagues in the university and, yes, we believe that there will be something labelled agriculture appearing again in the future. And we're working very hard towards that. Uh, the university's gone into, you know, has consolidated many faculties into a few and, and, and for very good reasons. But uh, I'm very optimistic that in the future there will be some entity that's about teaching and research that has the name agriculture on it. Professor Alex McBratney, thank you very much for joining us on Angry Minders. You are a true Angry Minder and it's been great to be able to pick your brains about where we're going in providing the bright sparks for our very important future need. Always great to talk to you, Chris. Thanks. So listening to our Angry Minders, the solutions seem to be known, but the structure and focus risks being lost in a quagmire of restricted university funding and decision makers and administrators obsessed with populist priorities for learning. It's quite bizarre in my view that Sydney University doesn't have at the least a school of agriculture, given that that faculty history goes back to 1910 under Professor R.D. Watt. I'm not sure that a generalist school of life and environmental sciences within a faculty of science will be able to give the perception and actuality of an increased supply and future for the profession amongst our brightest city-based students. Indeed, does the absence of a faculty in our second largest city, Melbourne, just add to this, or is it sufficient to just have country faculties in New South Wales and Victoria? One thing is certain, without these up-and-coming bright sparks, innovative resolution of the issues that need to be addressed in order to ensure we achieve the three P's of principled productivity with providence just won't happen. And I would plead with everyone listening to this podcast 
that they should be doing everything in their persuasive powers to encourage and facilitate the many young, bright students that have a love and engagement for the science and applied science of agriculture, which they've got from school, to follow their dreams and hence undoubtedly make a difference to our world of tomorrow. Join me again on AgriMinders. Special thanks to the AgriMinds Think Tank Group. AgriMinders was presented by me, Chris Russell, and created in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Executive producer extraordinaire was Jenny Goggin. Sound production by Darcy Thompson. For more episodes, go to podcastone.com.au, download the Podcast One app, or search AgriMinders on Apple Podcasts.